The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Well, come on in, find a seat. <clears throat> There's a couple on the front row. There's a few, few to hard to get to. Okay, so we're continuing our study through Corinthians. And in Corinthians, we've been seeing that the gospel is good news. What is the gospel? What is good news? The good news is that your what you wear, what you put in the offering plate, how good you are, how much of the Bible you read, that's not how you get to heaven because it'll never be good enough. The good news is, is that Jesus did what you need to get you to heaven. That is, he lived the perfect life. He's the righteous son of God. He gave his life on the cross. He died for your sins. And you are made righteous when you trust only in his righteousness. And that's what sets you free from all those things. That's what sets you free to wear what you want to wear in church. Right? Because I'm not dressing for Jesus to get me right into heaven. I'm in heaven. I am set free to wear this hat in church. Even when Becky can't worship behind me because I'm wearing it. She like taps me on the back like, what are you doing? She did see Norris Ferry and was like, oh, okay, well, maybe that's a little better. But I, I seriously had the hardest time singing with this on my head. I can't even preach with it. Because, and if I offended anyone, I am sorry because I was only doing I'm sorry. Thank you, Grayson. I'm slinging the hat and hit her in the face. Not really. But uh, if I offended anyone, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend. But that is what we see going on in the text today. That Paul is addressing some issues going on in the church in Corinth where people are realizing that Christ sets them free from a lot of things. And in that freedom, they're growing confident and unfortunately arrogant and prideful and are starting to do things in the public gathering of the church that offends others. Or like we saw last week, whether it's food sacrificed to idols, some people are offended by it, and they're like, I don't care, I'm free in Christ, that's your problem. Or coming into worship, and what we're going to see, there's very challenging to figure out what in the world is going on, but something was going on with head coverings, similar to what I just did, that was offensive to the body of Christ, and they've written a letter to Paul, who started the church, and had established some traditions based on the theology of scriptures, and they're going, hey, this is going on, and Paul's addressing them. So that's exactly what we see as we go into the text today. We're looking at 1 Corinthians, so turn your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 through 16. We'll have it as I work through. We'll have it on the screen. But if you brought your Bibles, turn to chapter 11, verse 2 through 16. And because it's a very, it's probably the most challenging text of all the scriptures to me. Uh, and it's because a lot of the issues seem to be dealing with cultural issues that we don't really understand what was going on. Now, having said that, the Bible gives you what you need to interpret what you need from the Bible. And so we can still get the main point. I've already kind of given you the main point. Paul's telling us last week, this week, and the next few weeks that when you start to discover your freedoms in Christ, you need to be careful how you exercise them. You need to be think more questions. The only question of concern is not, you don't just ask, is this okay or is this sin? Because is it sin for me to wear that hat in the church? Probably not. But there's other questions to ask. Last week we saw a couple of questions. Does, is it helpful? Probably not. Does it build others up? Probably not. 
not at this time, not in this culture, not in this church. And so what we're going to see is Paul's dealing with issues. We're going to see in a, in, in a few weeks that the spiritual gifts were coming into play and how they were exercising those in the church was causing a real problem. And they're like, oh, I got the spirit. I'm free in Christ. And Paul says, well, let me give you some guidelines. It's not just a question of your own personal freedoms. It's how is this affecting others? And there's other questions that we're going to look at today. But what Paul is going to do is say, don't just ask, is it sin? He's going to say, ask, does this honor God's principles? And does this honor God's people? That's our two points today. We're going to look at the issue involved and try to figure out, look at the text and try to really understand what issue is he dealing with. But then we're going to look at those two points that we also should ask, is this honoring God's principles and is this honoring God's people? And what we see Paul does is he separates theology and tradition. And that's important to do because Paul's going to separate the theology. In verse 3, he's going to say, here's the theology that's underneath, the theological underpinnings to these cultural traditions that we have. And he says, the theology should not change. Your doctrine should not change. You cannot throw the doctrine out as traditions or cultural norms change. And so he separates those, say, there's freedom in the cultural expressions there's freedom in changing your traditions and the cultural norms. But as you do develop new cultural norms where we aren't all in suits and ties anymore, well, at one time that was offensive to people. Why is it okay for us to change? Because the theology is honor God with your heart. And as culture changes, that may look different, but we still want to honor God because that's unchanging principles in the scriptures. Okay, so y'all following what Paul's doing? He's separating those two. So let's look, or before we do, let's ask the Lord to help us look at this issue. Lord, would you please continue? I feel like in our study of Corinthians, uh, what you're doing is constantly showing us how the gospel should uh, humble us as well as free us. That the gospel produces within us a humility that considers others' concerns over our own concerns. That as we discover that we are free in Christ, that we don't have to try to merit our salvation because you merited it for us and we're just receiving your merit as a gift. As we discover that and, and our, enjoy our freedom from laws and rules and regulations, may we understand that we then have a calling to use our freedoms the way you have. And you laid your life down to give us life and to bless us. So may we have that same heart that's in you. May that be in us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, let's first consider the issue. I'm looking at verses 2 and 2 through 6. The issue that Paul addresses. Look at verse 2. He says, now I commend you. He says, well done. He's kind of buttering, buttering them up before he says, but here's the problem. I commend you because you remember me in everything and you maintain the what? Traditions. You maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. So this is important to understand. Paul's dealing with traditions that are expressions of doctrine or theology. And so his traditions, he started the church, 
and he established the church just like when we started Norris Ferry. Our traditions were very different. And I've said this many times. When there's five people sitting on a couch in your living room and you're preaching to them, it's a little awkward to do a lot of the stuff that the traditional church did at the time. I mean, we're not going to have an altar call. We're not going to pass the offering play. A lot of things are different. New traditions developed. But the doctrines didn't change. So Paul says, look, when I started the church, I gave you traditions and you've done them and you've passed them down. And, and that's really important because embedded in those traditions are some great doctrine and theology. But then he says in verse 3, but there is one area that I've heard about, Paul would say, that there's some things going on that I think you need to rethink. Paul says in verse 3, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. This is a massive theological treaties statement the head of every man is christ the head of every wife is her husband and the head of christ is god now let's stop and think because there's he mixes metaphors here he uses head metaphorically sometimes and head literally sometimes so let's look at verse three what's he saying but i want you to understand that the head of every man is christ he's not referring literal head he's not saying every man has jesus sitting on his shoulders he's saying metaphorically the authoritative leader of every man, every man and every of mankind, of all of humanity, the head, authority, is Jesus Christ, metaphorically. And then he says the, the metaphorical head of every wife is her husband, and the metaphorical head of Christ is God. And then he goes on, I'm going to back up, but let's just keep reading, I'll come back. Every man who prays, so here's the issue, that's theology, here's the issue going on in the church gathering. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered like i was just doing if if that was the issue dishonors his head so every man who comes into the church gathering and prophesies and prays with with his head literal head covered he's dishonoring his uh, metaphorical head christ and then he says but every wife who prays or prophesies so both husbands and wives are coming in to the gathering and they're both prophesying and praying and they both are doing something with their heads. He's saying, now here's the principles that I want you to get. He says, now every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, so it's the opposite, with her head uncovered, dishonors her head or authority, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. And we all go, wait, do what? Her head was shaven. Very challenging. The closest thing I can tell you, that the closest answer I could find to shaven was... In that day, in the culture, if someone was, if a woman was being promiscuous, adulterous, and rebelling against her marriage, her husband, and everything, she would shave her head and live a licentious lifestyle. And so Paul is basically saying that every woman who, who is doing this is kind of aligning herself with those people. So, so let's break this down, and we're going to look at the theological underpinnings in verse 3, and then we'll come back and go, okay, so what is the cultural thing going on in verse 4 and 5? The theological underpinnings in verse 3 are massively important, especially in our culture. In our culture, we have a complete categorical distrust of all authority and especially male authority, a complete suspicion of all authority and especially male authority and that's to a large extent understandable because there has been massive abuse of authority 
in churches and all kinds of systems, there have been abuse and there has been massive abuse of men of their authority. And so what we need to understand when I talk about husband and wives and authority and non-authority, we need to be protected by this theological statement that Paul starts out with. And he says, Jesus is, is in submission to the Father. Okay, so when he says God the Father has this kind of authoritative head of Jesus Christ, is he saying that Jesus is lesser than the Father? Head nods. Is he saying Jesus is less God than God the Father? No. And so that's a very important theological premise that he says before he addresses the husband-wife role. So just as Paul is not belittling Jesus when he says God is head of Jesus, he also is not belittling women when he says husband is head of wife. And that's why he puts this theological statement and connects them all together. And he has several statements all throughout saying man's not independent of woman, woman's not independent of man, God is supreme over all, but here are the distinct roles that God says, this is what is my design for husband and wife. And God always has good for his people in his design. And so what we see is God is going to give us, Paul is going to give us God's design for our distinct gender-specific roles in marriage. And we see it in other parts of the Bible, in the church and in family Paul says God has a particular design that is really important that should not change, though the cultural traditions and cultural norms may change, the doctrine should not be changed. And so in verse 3, I want you to understand that the authoritative, responsible leader of every man is Jesus Christ, and the authoritative responsible leader of wife is her husband and the authoritative head or responsible leader of Christ is God. And the Bible makes it clear that man and woman are equally valuable in that they are both image bearers of God. In the creation account before the fall, we see God's great design that Paul's going to go to Genesis 1 and 2 in a minute and point this out. But what we need to preface it with is to see that God's good, perfect design, not as a part of the fall, is good design is that the husband take responsibility to provide headship or leadership in the, the marriage. And that the wife is a tremendously valuable and important support and encouragement to the husband. Where it said it's not good that man not have a helper. Let me create a helper to help him fulfill his calling. And his calling was to glorify God. And so there's this partnership. When I do marriage premarital counseling or, or in post-marriage counseling... I help them recast the vision. You are in a marriage because you are a worship partnership. And if you don't understand your roles, then you're not complementing each other. You're competing with each other. Now, what happened after the fall was that there was a resentment of the woman resented the leadership or headship of man. And he says, from now on, that's going to be a temptation that the woman will resent the leadership of the man. Now, why is that? 
Well, probably because the man after the fall does a poor job oftentimes of providing godly leadership. And so as we work through this example, Paul, as his argument develops, Paul puts an emphasis on the role of the wife because it appears that in this example, the wives have gotten contentious in their freedoms, kind of like I did with that hat, and say, hey, I'm free in Christ. I'm going to change the way I do things. And Paul is saying, hey, let's not be contentious. Let's make sure that what we're doing honors God's principles about the distinct roles that man and woman have. Now, I feel the need for further aside about gender-specific roles in our culture. You would think as you come to a text about women covering head that we're going, this has nothing to do with us. This will be the most boring sermon I've ever heard in my life. I hope you don't feel that way. But what we see is actually is extremely relevant for our day and age. We are living in the middle of a gender revolution. This is the modern day sexual revolution where now everywhere you turn, someone is challenging God's design that there was, you are born a male or a female. Nowadays, we have people who are saying, do not write on their birth certificate what their gender is. Let them choose later. The question we have then as the church is, is that okay? And what I'm going to give you today is two questions to ask. Number one, honor God's principles. Does this honor God's principles? God's principles revealed in his word. God's principles revealed in nature. Is what we're going to see Paul does. And then does this honor God's people? But as we continue to talk about this matter, I want to make clear that Jesus, that God, that the church was revolutionarily pro-woman. Revolutionary pro-woman. Think about it in a day and age when people did not, absolutely did not respect women and they did not treat them well, Moses gives commands to say, you cannot just discard women. You can't just divorce them, men. You have to be careful and protect them. The certificate of divorce was to protect the women from being disposed of easily. Then you have Jesus, who was absolutely pro-woman, in the same type of culture that did not value women at all, Jesus selected women for his ministry. Be my messengers. Take the gospel out to the, to the community. That was revolutionary. Then you have in Luke chapter 8, women were the linchpin of the first eyewitness testimonies of the foundation of our faith. They stood at the cross and said, I saw Jesus. He rose from the grave. Who does that? But he values Women, God and Jesus, pro-women. It was culturally taboo to have a woman sit at the feet like a a rabbi, a student, a rabbinic student would do. Rabbinic students would sit at the feet of their teacher and learn. Mary sat at Jesus' feet like a rabbinic teacher, like a rabbinic student would. That's a tremendous honor and privilege that Jesus did for women. And the treatment in public streets and where everyone could see how did treat Jesus treat women. He tro- treated them with great dignity. He treated them with great respect. He showed them mercy when others wanted to just stone them for, for doing anything wrong. So let me make it clear. 
God is pro-woman. Jesus is pro-woman. The church is pro-woman. I am pro-woman, especially that woman right there. In the first service at this point, Caitlin Wilson said, Woo! I said, all right, we've got the rest of the sermon to listen to. So we are pro-woman without throwing out God's design. And so we want to look at God's design. Now, as we work through this text, we see there's two principles or there's two issues that guide us in our interpretation as we try to understand how do we work through these issues if there's changing cultural norms about gender identity and there's changing cultural norms about what's okay to wear in church or, or we want to ask, we want to consider two things. First of all, does it honor God's principle? And then second of all, does it honor God's people? So let's look at whether it honor God's principle first. In Genesis chapter, or in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7, he says this. He says, For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and the glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. And he says, now that's why culturally the wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Huh? Is that what you do when you read that? Because of the angels. Wait, what? Where did that come from? The best explanation I could have that I found was in, there's two or three places that says that in the worship gathering, there's angels present. And Paul perhaps is saying that honor your husband and wife should honor one another, honor the body of Christ. When you worship, there's angels present with you. So we'll go with that. Nevertheless, in the Lord, here, now here's this kind of qualifying comments again, being careful. He's saying now, nevertheless, respect women. Nevertheless, the Lord, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. All things are from God. So he says, look, women understand that the way God did things in Genesis, we see this, that, and the other, that woman was taken from man. But he says, now, man, if you get all arrogant and cocky, remember, every one of you was born from a woman. We're all from God, so let's all understand that. And so what is Paul doing here? Paul is referring to God's principles revealed in his word. As he's challenged with cultural change and these traditions being challenged, the first thing we should do is go to the word and say, what principles of God, what, what teachings of God must we honor as we figure this out, we can't change the word. We can't throw the theology out with the cultural change. We have to keep the doctrines that are unchanging, define the principles that must be held to, and then adapt our traditions. And so what he does is he go to Genesis 1, 
and he talks about the order of creation. As he says that man was created to glorify God, and then God said, it's not good you try to do that by yourself. Let me create woman who will be your helpmate. He ca- she came from the body of Adam, and there is this role where his job is primarily to lead towards godliness, and her job is to embrace that godly leadership. And then he says, so women, when you come into the church and you're doing this head thing that we're, that you, that's just got this contentious attitude, you need to understand that's not the spirit we want here. And so what the head thing seems to be, some say it was a veil, some say it was a wrap or a cover, but what I say it is, it was the hair. It was probably a hair that was worn up a certain way that recognized and honored the fact that she was married. And so as they came into church and she dressed a certain way and had her hair a certain way, that it honored that relationship and it wasn't a disturbance in the church. But then all of a sudden, as they felt free in Christ, they started letting their hair down and doing things a little different. And people were going, wait a minute. And Paul says, okay, well, as you deal with this issue, the question underlying is, how are you honoring this role of husband and wife? And he says, the word here, glory, where he says that you are, but woman is the glory of man. When we say we give glory to God, we're not adding anything to God. We're not making him glorious. We are honoring his glory. We are recognizing his glory. And so it's the same thing as saying the woman should honor the husband. And the husband should honor the woman in the way they are interacting in the public worship service so that it's not a problem. And so first, when we start debating or discussing or figuring out what our cultural norms are, our first question is, what does God's word say? What biblical principles must we not violate? And as I've already mentioned, we see God's design is that there is a role for husband and wife The husband's is to take the responsibility to provide leadership. We see this in the church. Elders, men are to take responsibility to provide leadership in the church. We see this in in all kinds of places. In authority, government is given authority. But in all places where God gives authority, he says you use this authority for the good of others. The same way he used it for Our good. God had all authority in the heavens and earth. He humbled himself and took on the cross. He died that we might have eternal life. He says, this is how I want you to exercise your authority. So he goes to God's word and says, what principles do we need to honor here? And then he goes to nature. This is very interesting if you think about the the gender issues we're facing today. He says, now, as you try to decide whether we should mix genders or let kids choose their genders, he says in verse 13, judge for yourselves. Is this proper? Now, in his case, he says, is it proper for, proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Judge for yourself. Does Look at verse 14. Does not nature itself teach you? Does not the birth of a child with certain anatomy teach you that God has a design? Does not the whole procreation process, according to God's word, which is to produce future worshipers, do we not see God's beautiful design? And so in the word of God and in nature, we see God's principles 
are evident. And it's those principles that should be unchanging. It's those principles which we should hold to. In his verse, continuing, do not, does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it's a disgrace for him. But if a woman has long hair, it's her glory, for her hair is given to her as a covering. So Paul is saying that God has also revealed principles through nature. So what Paul is saying to us, what we learn is don't toss the doctrine out with changing cultural traditions. Hold to those without compromise. So as we think about abandoning old traditions, we ask how does this honor God's principles? The next is how does this honor God's people? This is in verse 16. He says, if anyone is inclined to be contentious, if any of you comes up here with an attitude, I'm going to wear this hat regardless, I don't care what you think. He says, if anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. That's such an interesting argument from Paul. What is he saying? He said, if you want to come up here and wear a hat, and you've got a contentious attitude, what you need to understand is, look around. Nobody else is wearing a hat. That's not what we do around here. And, and it's so weird to me because what church leaders have said over all the years about traditions and, and things like that is the seven deadliest words to a church is that's not, we've never done it that way before. And that if a church's mantra is we've never done it that way before, they are dead and declined. You've got to be willing to change. And it seems like Paul's saying, look around. We've never done it that way before. But what he's saying is look around and honor the culture that you're in. Be considerate of others. You may have freedom in Christ to wear blue jeans. But if you walk up into a high church and preach a sermon in blue jeans, it's going to be offensive. You may have freedom to wear a hat. But you come in the church preaching in this church with a hat, people are going to be like, I'm just not feeling good about this. No one else is wearing a hat. And so as you discover your freedoms, understand you've got to honor the biblical principles and you also have to consider others. And so, you know, I'm still young, but Granger's getting old. <laughs> and he's choosing songs every week. He has to decide what songs to play. And we young people may not like them. So how do we do that? Well... We started this church with zero traditions. We had never done nothing before. And so we were free to establish our own traditions. And now we've got our own styles and traditions. And younger families are coming and they may say, boy, I wish she would do this or I wish she'd do that. And other ones are saying, well, I wish she'd play more hymns. I wish she'd do more contemporary. What do you do? You try your best to respect, to hold to the doctrines. We want to play songs and music that teaches good doctrine. But we understand there's flexibility in the tune. But we want to respect and honor God's people the best we can. So as we think about this, what does this look like for us in this modern day? Well, I think the biggest thing is there maybe wedding rings. Maybe if you're married, you don't wear a wedding ring. Are you trying to be rebellious? Are you trying to prove something? You know, I don't know so much that a modern day hairstyle or cultural. It may be that, you know, there's a certain way that we dress to honor the fact that we're married. And we say, you know, can we continue to honor that? But really, I think the real application here is in a culture that's saying, let's blur the gender distinctions. And in a culture that says we're suspicious of, of any authority, we can't throw out God's design for marriage. God's design for gender. That 
in God's design, one man and one woman should get married. Their goal is to glorify God, and they have defined roles, and the man's role is to embrace his calling of providing sacrificial, godly leadership. And the woman's role is to say yes and to embrace that, not to resent that. This is one of the few passages that the the slant seems to be he's stepping on the women's toes, on the wives' toe as it continues to say, wives, quit doing what you're doing. So I do want to challenge wives. If your husband is trying to to provide godly leadership, don't say to him, oh, who you think you are now? Oh, after you do all that, now you want to lead me? That's not fair. Embrace it when he gets it right. Celebrate it. Yes, thank you. Oh, that's awesome. Good job. And don't resent it. But even though this text is really stepping on the women's toe, I really feel like it makes me step on the men's toe even more because I think there's most women are hardwired, designed to embrace godly leadership, but the problem is most men aren't providing it. And so men... This text says to you, man up. What does that mean? It doesn't mean be tough guy, go, go dominate. No, it means take your responsibility. Own it. It's hard. It's a task. But it, hey, if you're going to play Alabama next week, what do you do? You do everything you can to be ready. And that's what we do. We, we say, okay, I got to clear my schedule. I got to figure this thing out. Now, I've done a lot of pre-marriage counseling and marriage counseling over the years. And here's what I've seen. Most men have married women over their head. <laughs> and most men will say to me, she has been following Jesus and reading the Bible and having a quiet time since she was three months old. And I don't even know the books of the Bible. And you're telling me I'm supposed to lead her and be the spiritual leader? And I said, yeah. Okay, so what does that look like then? Well, in my marriage, I figured out the secret. And I'm not kidding. It took me a while to figure it out. And I'm dead serious, man. Figure out what time she sets her alarm. If it's 6 a.m., You set your alarm at 5.59. You get up one minute before her, and you set the tone. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And you're no longer going to drag my rear end to have a quiet time. You're no longer going to drag me to church. I'm going to get up before you. I'm going to start the coffee. I'm going to have the Bible sitting on the table. And I'm going to wake you up with a hot cup of coffee. And I'm going to go get the kids. And I'm going to get them. And we're going to sit down. And we're going to have a quiet time. Or whatever that looks like. But the tone is set by you men. Saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then you're gathered together. And you're trembling because you have no idea how to read the Bible, how to study the Bible, how to pray. And so what do you do? You say, children, God has gifted us with a brilliant mama. (laughs) Now she's going to lead us through a text. 
She's going to lead the Bible study. She's going to teach us how to pray. That's okay. She's a glorious gift from God to help you lead your family well. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be good at it. I had a man after the first service say, man, that was so good to hear because she can just quote it and read I've I've read it four times and I still don't know what it means. Or I knew it, but now I can't remember it to share it. That's okay. Your wife is very gifted. Deploy her gifts for the good of the family if, if she's better at something than you are. But that doesn't mean shirk your responsibility. It means own it. Delegate to her strengths. You take strength, what, what you're good at, but you have to take the responsibility to set the tone in the home. And for my house, that meant quit letting her get up first. I think that's a, just a very practical way. Get up before her and say, how can we do this? Let's do this together. Set the tone in the house. And that honors her. And then wife, when he does that, and you're he, not so good at it, you say, that's okay. You're doing great. I appreciate you. And, and don't resent it. Don't hold the past against them. Embrace it. Encourage it. Celebrate it. Praise it. That's, that's what, pretty simple, isn't it? But that's what it should look like. God says there is a role for each person in this marriage. And when you work together, it's beautiful. It's great design. And then when you're out there talking to your friends and these cultural issues about gender identity come up, don't be mean-spirited. Don't come across like some narrow-minded bigot. Come across as, look, God's got a beautiful plan. And it works. And it's good, and I love you, and I want you to know God's good plan. And here's what the Word says, and here's what nature says. Help them because you love them, and you want them to know God's glorious design, not because you just want to show them how how dumb they are and how right you are. That's not the spirit that God wants us to have. So I pray the Lord will make this true in our lives. Father, I pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ is our model that you gave up all your freedoms. You used your authority to lay your own life down, to, to make us holy, to build us up. And I pray, Lord, that those of us who know you are our Savior, that your righteousness is our holiness, that you are the only hope we have for eternal life, I pray, Lord, that we will use that understanding, that freedom, that gospel freedom, the same way you did, that we would lay our lives down to serve our spouses, to serve our community, to promote your good design and all the other random possible illustrations that would come up, that cultural challenges to biblical truths. Lord, may we have a heart of humility that says, does this honor God's word? And does it honor God's people? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.